go ahead and grab your seat. I uh, appreciate Tanner and the band leading us. Glad you're here. Um, the other day, Angela, she looked at me and um, she said, uh, Madison, you know, I just wish that we could just for a little bit go back to a few years ago to that home and shelter moment where everybody was forced to be at home. And uh, she just said, just a little bit, because during that time, there was forced inactivity. And although not everybody, some people still had to work, maybe from the computer. Uh, some of you, if you're in school, maybe you had to do that. But for some people, jobs really just stopped. And people lost their mind to a certain extent, myself included. And um, we had the kids there at the house, and we were trying to figure out how to do everything. But it was nice because it was a forced moment of, hey, you can't do anything. You got to stay home, and, and you just got to hang out. Now, some of you are probably thinking, I don't think we want to go back to 2020. Uh, but if somebody forced me to rest, I wouldn't be mad at it. Imagine if you got a call or a text tonight from, from, your, from your boss, and they said, hey, you've been working hard. Don't come in tomorrow. Don't check your email. Don't, hey, turn your phone off. Just don't even come in. Some of you are like, please, Lord, please make it happen. Make it happen. I don't want to go to work. I want, I want to rest. Or imagine if the, the president of your, of your school, your university, called you and said, hey, you, you've been putting in the work. You've been studying hard. I know you're trying to go from a C to a B, but hey, you're doing awesome. You're doing a great job. Uh, hey, you know what? Tomorrow, don't, don't study. Don't even come to class. Some of you would be like, please make it happen. But then there's some of you who maybe you're in PT school or, or maybe you're in um, OT school, a master's program, and you're like, I, I can't stop. I always have to be moving. You got flashcards. You, as, as I'm preaching, you're, looking, you're memorizing stuff. And you're like, I got to, I've got to have seven days worth of study. And perhaps there's a a disbelief that you can do in six what you normally do in seven. Well, we come to the fourth commandment. We're walking through the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words. I want you to keep some of those thoughts that I just mentioned in mind as we read Exodus 20, starting in verse 8. We're going to read through verse 11. God's Word says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Verse 9. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. Verse 11, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Let's pray and we'll unpack this. Lord, we ask that you would guide our hearts and minds as we seek to understand what this passage says. Soften our hearts to receive uh, what you have for us. Lord, we, we ask that you would speak to us. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you that we can read it and we can hear from you. Lord, we need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, the fourth commandment. It is a unique commandment. There's something that's quite unique about this commandment, unlike the other nine, and it sets this command apart from the others. The fourth commandment is the only commandment on the list of ten that is not repeated or reinforced 
in the New Testament. And so this is interesting about this commandment. And so it leads us to ask, well, how does that apply to us as New Testament believers? And we'll get to that in just a moment. But there are still principles that we can learn from this commandment. And I think that we'll see it as we dive into this text. Now, uh, a lot of times, if you've ever heard this discussed, or if you've just thought about it, or if you've seen it on a list anywhere, a lot of times our mind goes to verse 8, which we just read, and only verse 8. And we don't really consider what's going on in verse 9. But to understand this commandment fully, we need to begin, I think, with verse 9, and then we'll look at the commandment as a whole. So first, verse 9 says this, Six days you shall labor and do all your work. So first off, we need to have what I would call a theology of work. It's not the most exciting topic, but we need to understand, hey, what does God's word say about work? Many of you have jobs right now. Many of you are in school because hopefully you want to get a job and you think that that will, will help in the process. And so we need an understanding of what work is biblically. So we're going to go on a little journey. Uh, if you have a note sheet, there's some passages that you can look at later or you can flip as I, as I talk about them right now. So the first time that we find work, the first time we find it, is in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Listen to what the text says in verses 2 and 3. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Verse 3. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. In these verses, we see three times the word work. Three times uh, we see that God is working. He is in the act of creating. In Genesis 1, we don't see the word work, but we see the results of it. We see that God is making. He's creating. We see that in Genesis 1. We then see in Genesis 2.15 that God puts Adam and Eve in, in the garden, uh, and he tells them to tend and to keep it. Specifically, in verse 15, we see Adam, where God speaks to him and says, tend to the garden keep it. We can infer that he is to work it. He's to work the garden. Now here's an interesting thought. At this point in the biblical story, sin has not entered into the world, and yet there's still work. Some of you are like, oh man, <laughs> even in a sinless society there's going to be work? Yeah, that's right. Even before sin entered into the world, there was work. Work was a part of God's perfect plan. In Genesis 1 and 2, when we read about creation and God making people and God uh, commanding Adam and Eve to be in the garden and to do all these, work was a part of that. According to Genesis 1, 26 through 28, very important passage. Uh, some of us on Sunday morning, we've been walking through this a little bit. We see that uh, Adam and Eve are created in God's image. That means that there's something about people that are like God. It doesn't mean that we are gods, but there's something in us that resembles who God is. And I believe one of those aspects is that, is that God made us to work. We see that he worked, he created, and he has created us to work as well. And so Adam and Eve were given work to do, and it was good. 
It was a good creation. And, and they had a perfect relationship with God, and they were working. It was a part of God's plan. So based on this, I believe that we can confidently say, you were created to work. You were created to work. Part of God's purpose for your life involves hard work. Your work is an act of worship. When we work, we reflect attributes of who God is. And in its proper, balanced place, we see that work is a God thing, and it's a good thing. Now, this means that in the summer of 2007, I'm a high school guy. I'm in the daycare cafeteria cooking fish sticks and making PB&Js. As a, it was a weird summer job. But it was work, and it was a good thing. I might have not enjoyed it that much, but that job was important in God's eyes because in working, I am fulfilling an aspect of God's plan for my life. And then I would leave, I'd leave the cafeteria. I remember one time I, I burnt the fish sticks. Sorry, kids. They're a little crunchy today. And then I would leave the cafeteria and I'd go across the street. There was a driving range and I was the guy in the golf cart picking up the golf balls. People trying to hit me. If you've ever been to a driving range, it was, it was part of my job. I was working. That job at the time, I might have not enjoyed it, but it actually had value in God's eyes. Some of you work at a job where you feel like, I feel like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing anything. There's not a lot of purpose in it. And, and the reality is, is that whatever job you have, you can do that for God's glory. You may not be interacting with, with people all the time. You may be working a job where you're not interacting with, 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 with people at all, but still that can be a good thing and it can be a God thing. It's valuable in God's eyes and you can worship God as you work. But what happened is work got really hard after Adam and Eve sinned, when they rebelled. That was a part of the consequence of sin entering into the world is that work, it got hard. And it creates a, a tiresome mentality for us. But it doesn't mean that work is a bad thing. It just means it got harder. It's a consequence of living in a sin-filled world. And so as a society, it seems like we're often trying to avoid work. Maybe you don't see it in yourself. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're one of those people, you're like, no, I'm, I'm waking up and I'm on the grind. I am working hard. But perhaps you know people that, man, I'm just... I'm just trying to avoid work at all costs. Uh, maybe you've had that person who was in your group project at school, and they didn't do a lick of work. And, and, but, but because you are so studious, you're like, I'm just going to do their part. I'm going to do it, and we're going to get through this. And then some of you, you were the person that didn't do anything, and you're like, hey, somebody's going to pull my weight. Somebody's going to do it. We've all, we've all been in that situation. There's, as a society, it seems like a lot of times we try to, we try to avoid it. When people are at work, Sometimes people are like, ah, I'm just going to get on social media. I'm going to scroll for a little bit to get an escape from work. I'm going to go visit with my coworker, and I'm going to try to escape work for just a moment. And so we see that people are at work, and they're dreaming about being on the boat, catching the fish, laying at the beach, whatever it may be. Do you see that there's something in us that, ah, we don't, we don't, want, we don't want to do what God actually has created an aspect of us to do, that is to work. Uh, can you relate to this meme? I brought a meme with me. Let's see if it makes it up here. 
All right, I don't know if you can see the pie chart. The green part says procrastination, and the yellow part says distracting others. Maybe you can, maybe you can relate to that. Uh, you're at a job where you're like, ah, I'll do that later. I'm going to check out this YouTube video. And then once you get done with the YouTube video, you're like, I'm going to go see what's going on down the hallway. Again, that's, that's, that's a lot of people's life. All right, we can take Jim down. Um, we can take him down. Maybe you can relate to that, though. Procrastination and distracting others. If we aren't avoiding work, we might try to eliminate the amount of work that we have to do. Instead of trying to give 100%, maybe we give 80%, 75%. Um, and I know this doesn't characterize everyone. Some of you are incredibly hard workers, and I know this because I hear what's going on in your life. But as Christians, as followers of Christ, as, as people of the book, I think we need to reevaluate our understanding of work. We need to understand that an aspect of God's plan is that we would work and that we would work hard. That in working hard, we're, we're worshiping the Lord and we're doing it for, for his glory and for his namesake. And that as people see that we are working hard, it, distinguish, it distinguishes us from, from others. It sets us apart. And at the same time, others actually benefit from our hard work. And I think we can see this uh, in Scripture. I wasn't planning on, and we won't go into details, but men like Joseph in Genesis, who he walked with the Lord, and he was a person of integrity and hard work. And God not only blessed him in many ways, but he blessed many others through him. We see the same thing with Daniel in the book of Daniel. He walked with the Lord. He was in a society that did not follow the Lord. I believe that we could make a strong case that he was a very hard worker, and yet he walked with the Lord, and many others were impacted because of him. Now, we need to make something clear here. Work doesn't necessarily equal job. Because some of you are thinking, like, oh, man, like, I got I to gotta walk out of here. I got to go get a job. No, so work doesn't necessarily equal job. A stay-at-home mom works very hard. That's hard work. Uh, keeping the affairs of the home together, uh, making sure the kids have what they need, doing what needs to be done, all the things. It's hard work. A student in school, many of you, you may not have a job. Perhaps your job right now is preparation for your future job. Maybe you've been blessed to where you don't have to do school and a job at the same time, and so you're diligent in your studies. And you're not just studying for study's sake. You're, you're, you're working towards a degree. Uh, you're working towards a future job. You're developing a skill set. A, a retired couple, a retired couple, they, they're no longer at their job, but they may be volunteering in the community, volunteering at the church. They may be uh, helping to raise grandkids or family members. So just because somebody doesn't have a job doesn't mean that they can't work, that it's possible. There's a really interesting text that I hadn't thought about much until I uh, was preparing for this. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 15. It's so interesting. We find Paul addressing an issue, uh, which is really a work issue. Now, he's talking to a group of Christians here. Keep that in mind. That he's talking to people who profess to follow the Lord Jesus. He's talking to a, a, a church that's in Thessalonica. And there's an issue of undiscipline. There's an issue of idleness. 
and some of the people in the church weren't working. And these are people that could work, but they didn't. Some scholars think that perhaps some of these people decided that they would quit their job because they thought Jesus was going to return pretty soon. Because that's how Paul preached, hey, the imminent return of Jesus Christ, hey, he could come, we're in the last days, that's, that's how Paul preached. And so imagine going home or calling a parent, calling your grandparents and saying, hey, I just quit my job, I quit it. And they said, okay, okay, you got, you got something else lined up, you got a better job? No, ah, Jesus is coming back, so I'm done. I'm done with work, I'm just going to, I'm waiting. And that's, that's perhaps what's going on here. So look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting in verse 6. Uh, Paul writes, But we command you, brethren, these are Christians, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. That word disorderly is the idea of being undisciplined. And if we go even deeper into it, we would see that this person enjoys an immoderate amount of pleasure, an excess of pleasure. Oh, this person's binge-watching Netflix all the time. They're scrolling social media for hours. They're planning out vacation after vacation. They're not showing up to work because they don't have a job. They quit their job. And Paul, he says, distance yourself from that person. Verse 7, he's talking to Christians, and he knows some of the people that he's talking about, he's actually talking to. He says, um, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly. We were not undisciplined among you. Verse 8, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. So Paul, he was a church planner, and so in Thessalonica, he's spending time with these people. Now, what we just read is this. He was saying, we didn't have to work the, the late hours. We didn't have to work a second job to earn more money, because Paul said, we could have just received money from you and food from you because of his ministry duties as a, as a pastor, as a, as a preacher. He says, we could have just received that. But Paul says, I wanted to set an example to you of hard work. I wanted, to, I wanted to take those resources and bless others, basically. And so Paul most likely is spending his day doing ministry, teaching, preaching. Uh, he's studying the scriptures with people. He's discipling. And then he's going home, and he's perhaps making tents, or working with leather. He's what we would call today a bivocational minister. So he's, he's a minister, but he also has a, what we would call, secular job. Perhaps God would call some of you to be a bivocational minister, to where you would work a, what we, we might call a normal job, like Paul, he's making tents, but in addition to that, he's pastoring, he's preaching, he's teaching. And for Paul, he was trying to set an example of hard work and discipline. And he goes on to say this. He says, hey, we, we didn't take things free of charge. Uh, apparently, there were people who had quit their jobs. They could be working, but they're not. And so these people were actually living off of the hard work of other people. And, and this is who Paul's talking about. 
And in verse 10, he says, For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. That's pretty strong coming from Paul. He's, he's talking to Christians, and he's talking about Christians, and Paul expects these believers that are capable of working, he expects them to work hard. He expects them to do that. If they're living an undisciplined life, uh, a life without work, Paul says we're not going to support that lifestyle as a body. As a group of Christians, hey, there's this person over here, they're mooching off everybody, and they can be working, they're not working. Distance yourself from that person. Hey, they're a brother, they're a sister in Christ, but in putting some distance from them and not supporting them, they're probably going to be like, I probably need to get a job. And that was the point. Paul wanted these people to get a job, to begin to work. Look at verse 11. For we hear that our, this is where Paul, he's like, I've heard about it. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, in an undisciplined manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. He's saying, I don't want them to eat your bread. They need to eat their own bread. They need to go work, and they need to eat their bread. And so some of these undisciplined Christians, as we said, uh, they, they quit their job because they think Jesus is going to come back, and they're just twiddling their thumbs, enjoying pleasures, and they don't have anything to do, so they're putting their nose in everybody else's business where it doesn't belong. And they're showing up at other people's workplaces. They're gossiping. They're meddling. They're doing all kinds of stuff. And Paul says, hey, we need to cut it out. You're a Christian. Live differently than the world. And so Paul says, get, get a job. Live a disciplined life. Laziness is ungodly, and it goes against God's plan for you. And so if you find yourself prone to avoid work, I would encourage you to repent and to ask that God would help you to have a biblical perspective on work. You were created to work. So, um, we're created to work, but we're not created to work nonstop. We're not created to just go full throttle, 24-7, seven days a week. God wants us to be intentional about our work, but he also wants us to be intentional about our rest. So we have a theology of work. We now jump into our theology of rest. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So let's think about this. The Sabbath day. What is this? Let's go back to the first time that we see the word Sabbath. Okay? It's actually in the same place where we find the word work mentioned in the first time. Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. And on the seventh day... God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. The Hebrew word for rested in Genesis 2-2 is the word Shabbath. It's transliterated into English as Sabbat, and that is where we would get our English word Sabbath from. So, if we go back to this verse, this would suggest that God... He ended his work, which he had done, and he Sabbathed. He ceased from his work. He stopped working. Now, that doesn't mean that he got tired. Again, somebody may read this and be like, ah, well, 
created the universe. He's probably tired. No, he's not tired. He doesn't tire. In fact, Psalm chapter uh, 121, verses 1 through 4 says, I will lift my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. Verse 2, my help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. That's Genesis 1 and 2. Verse 3, he will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. So God, he never sleeps. He never naps. Anybody like naps? It's okay. It's okay. We're talking about work. I know. Naps are good. I like naps, guys. We're okay. God doesn't take a nap. He doesn't miss something. I've got kids, and, and, and my four-year-old or my three-year-old will be like, Daddy, watch this, watch this. And, I, and, and sometimes I miss it. Sometimes I don't see it. Hey, Daddy, you didn't see it. Watch me do it again. God never misses what's going on in our life. He sees it all. He sees everything. He never slumbers. He never sleeps. Verse 4 of Psalm 121. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. So God doesn't rest um, because he, he's tired. But according to Genesis 2, we see that God rested. He Sabbath from his work which he created. So before sin enters the world, we understand that there's work, but we also understand that there's a principle of rest. And we learn that the seventh day is, is, is the Sabbath. There's something special about it. The Sabbath is blessed. It's a blessed day. If you're taking notes, that, there's a section there. It's a blessed day. There's something unique about that day. We also see that the Sabbath is set apart and it's holy. So in the same way that work is connected to God, so is Sabbath rest. So let's fast forward to the next time we see this word, Sabbath. We find it in the book of Exodus. Now, a few weeks ago, we talked about Exodus. We talked about the beginning of it. Let me give us a brief recap. Exodus 1, we find the nation of Israel held captive as slaves in Egypt. And life is horrible. It's terrible. Listen to chapter 1, verse 11 through 14. Therefore they, talking about the Egyptians, set taskmasters over them, over the people of Israel, to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh supply cities. Work is taking place here. Python and Ramses, verse 12. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were in dread of the children of Israel. Verse 13. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. There's a lot of really hard work going on in Egypt because of the people of Israel. In mortar, in brick, and in all manner of service in the field. So they're building things. They're making bricks. They're making buildings. They're planting things. They're harvesting things. All their service in which they made them serve was with rigor. Imagine the life of those living in Egypt. If you're, uh, if you're uh, an Israelite, you wake up and you work. And you work until you go to bed. And you wake up the next day and you do the same thing. And you work. And the day ends and you go to bed. And, and, and it is nonstop. That is all that you do. It's all you've known. You don't get a break. You work. And I just imagine that, there, that there's no breaks for them. There's no resting. It is pure work 24-7. But then we see that God raises up Moses and he rescues his people out of Egypt. And we find them traveling away from Egypt. And in chapter 16, we see that God is supernaturally providing for the people. But in verse 22 of Exodus 16, God's word says, And so it was on the sixth day 
that they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one. And all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. Then he said to them, this is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest. This is an unusual moment for them. They've been working tirelessly day after day after day. But now there is a, a day of rest that is being incorporated into the schedule. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today and boil what you will boil and lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until the morning. So they laid it up to the morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink, nor were there any worms in it. Then Moses said, eat that today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you'll gather it. But on the, on the seventh day of the Sabbath, there will be none. In other words, Chick-fil-A will be closed tomorrow. Get your chicken today because it's not going to be there tomorrow. There's something unique about the Sabbath day. Fast forward, verse 29 and 30, God's word says, See, for the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now imagine if you're an Israelite. And a few weeks ago, you'd been rescued out of, out of Israel. And in your mind is, is, is waking up, going to work, and going to sleep. Wake up, work, sleep. Wake up, work, sleep. And then you wake up and you remember, oh, wait, wait, this is the Sabbath day. Oh, my goodness, I can rest? The Lord has given us rest. Now, your mind is probably going back to what life used to be like and the toil and the labor and the pain. But on this particular day, you can rest. Physical rest. And it said that the Sabbath, the Lord is giving it to you. The Lord is giving something. The Sabbath gifts people and creation. Because we read a minute ago that it's not just people, it's also animals. Let them rest. Don't work them seven days a week. The Sabbath is a gift. The Sabbath also requires trust in the Lord's provision. That person who's on day six, and they're looking at the supply of manna that God has given them, and they're thinking, well, I don't know. I mean, like... We might have to go find food because the, I, is it going to be enough? Trust that on day six, the Lord will give enough for tomorrow. It requires you to trust. It requires that you stop working and instead of trusting in yourself, that you actually trust in the Lord, that he's going to provide for you. So from a principle standpoint, let me, let me make a few applications. First off, God wants you to experience rest. God wants you to experience rest. And praise God for that. Because we need it. We need it. We need rest. Number, number two, God wants you to trust him to provide as you rest. God wants you to trust him uh, to provide for you as you rest. And let's camp here for just a moment and think about some practical life principles. Although the U.S., I think, Again, this is my just my little perspective. Although the U.S., I think, has a lazy problem, an avoiding work problem, I think we also have the opposite 
and there's a workaholic problem or a studyaholic problem if you're in school. Some of you are like, what is, what is that? Is that a thing? People actually study too much? Some of you, perhaps that's where you're at. Instead of working and studying hard and recognizing that a break is needed and a break needs to take place for you to reset your heart and mind on the Lord and trust, Lord, I've been studying hard. I really want to study today, but I'm going to trust that you will, you're just going to make it work. Some of us, whether it's study or work, our workaholic aspects or our studyaholic aspects, it's really a trust problem. We don't trust that the Lord is good enough and strong enough to give us some rest times and to get us through it. Again, I think that's where we're at. Those who are workaholics, oftentimes it's fear and it's control. If I'm not working, I'm very afraid and I always have to work. And so there's very little trust in the Lord. And so it's a continual work. It's a continual, oh, I got to do this. If I don't do this, this if, I, if I don't do this, I got, hey, where's the trust? Where is trust in the Lord's provision and in his care? Uh, where is the trust that, you know what? You studied for 10 hours this week. I don't know what's normal these days. That sounds like a lot to me. You studied 10 hours a week. Trust that the Lord is going to honor those 10 hours and you don't have to try to get 20 in. Again, and you may say, well, Madison, that seems a little crazy. Like, well, how about you try it? Why don't we try to implement the principle of, I'll trust that the Lord will give me what I need, and I'll make sure that I'm giving him what he deserves. That instead of me constantly consuming my mind with work or my hands with work, that I'm actually going to rest from that, and I'm going to focus my heart and mind on the Lord. And it's in those moments that not all of us, but some of us, we try to do that and we're like, I got to go study. I'm going to go do it. I'm going to go. Or no, I got to get, I got to get that thing done. No, 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 stop. Put the book down. Put the work down. Put the computer down. Put the phone down. It's time to rest. I'm reminded of Psalm 23. And I don't know if you've thought about this before. The Lord is my. Good. I shall not. Good. He. Well, well, he, he makes me lie down in green pastures. I, you know, sometimes we need to be made to lie down. I have to do that with my kids. Guys, it's time to go to bed. No, we can't go to bed. We got to keep playing. No, I, you need to go to sleep. You need to go to sleep. We have a good shepherd that cares about us. And we need to be made to lie down. We need to be made to lie down at times. And it's in green pastures, so it actually benefits us. Sometimes we just don't see it. And so, again, some of you are like, I have no problem cutting back on the studies. I'll do it today. I will cut the studying out, and I'll trust in the Lord. No, remember, we have a theology of work, too. Got to balance work and rest. So let's go back to our passage. Let's, let's read it again, and it's in its, in, in its Uh, entirety, and we'll quickly move through the rest here. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, so we understand what the Sabbath is. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. We talked about work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. 
You, nor your son, your daughter, your male servant, female servant, cattle, your stranger who's in your gates. That's, that's interesting. Even, even somebody that's not even a part of the group, hey, if they find themselves there, hey, quit working. Hey, just rest, man. Just hang out. This is the day we just, we just rest. Hey, just, just, just chill out. We're resting and we're thinking about the Lord and his goodness. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, and rest the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So, if you're an Israelite, you already know the Sabbath is important. Because we're in Exodus 20. In Exodus 16, we heard, oh yeah, we're not getting any manna on the seventh day. We're just getting more of it on the sixth day. Because the seventh day is, is, is that Sabbath. But now it's being reinforced here in chapter 20. Um, and it's an opportunity to rest. It's an opportunity to experience the Lord's provision but God makes an additional element clear in this command. In verse 11, say, when you observe the Sabbath weekly, you're embracing a pattern that the Lord set. You're embracing a pattern that the Lord set. The Sabbath reflects the Lord's pattern for work and rest. The pattern is six days of work and a day of rest. So principle number three, God wants you to embrace a balanced pattern of work and rest. Now, uh, again, we're looking at this and we're applying principles to our life. We'll, we'll mention in just a minute, hey, how do, we, how do we, as Christians in the New Testament, apply this to our life? Here's what I would say. If you don't follow this pattern, I don't believe you're somehow walking outside of God's will, but I do think the pattern is here to benefit you. You may be the person that's like, ah, no, I'm just, I'm going to work, I'm going to work 14 days and then I'm going to rest the 15th day. Well, you could do that, but I think this is a better way. I think the Lord knows what he's doing. And I think he's honored if we take this pattern and apply it to our life. Now, let me, let me just be very honest and clear. Some of you are struggling because you're not following the pattern. Let me explain. In your head and in your heart, the anxieties that you deal with and the stress, it could be because the rhythm, the pattern of your work and rest is totally out of whack. And it'll affect your head and it'll affect your heart. If you go super hard day after day after day, and what you think is rest, scrolling on social media, binge-watching Netflix, which maybe that's rest, maybe it's not. If you're resting in a way that is not healthy, you're going to think you're resting. But in reality, you've just been working a really long time, and, and, you're, and you're, you're just out of whack. And that's perhaps where some of you are, and it's affecting your head. It's affecting your heart. Your sleep can be affected by this. Again, if somebody works hard, which, let me just brag on my wife, she works really hard. If you didn't know, she's got a full-time job. We have three kids. This morning, let's see, it's Thursday. Tomorrow, she'll get up at 4.30. She'll, she'll go work out. She'll come back, she'll get the kids ready, and then she'll work a full-time job. And then it's dealing with me and kids. 
And, and again, she, when she goes to bed, she goes to bed tired. I'm inspired. I'm encouraged by her work ethic. She has an incredible work ethic. If you don't work hard, then you might find yourself laying in bed. Looking at the phone. Scroll. Can't go to sleep. Well, did, did you really? Did you do anything today? Nah, not really. That, that may be the problem, that you're not working hard, and so you're not sleeping. So again, I'm not, I'm not trying to get on to you. I, I'm just saying that the pattern is there for a reason, and that we can benefit from it, and that if we are working hard, rest comes easier, and this moment of a, 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 a longer, a intentional moment can be enjoyed even more. The opposite could be true. Maybe you're the person that works very little, so you have a lot of idle time on your hand, and that can lead to head and heart problems. You get in your head, you're frustrated, you're depressed, all all the things. And and I would just say, well, it could be because there's not much work in your life. That if you would embrace work, and work for the glory of God, and that that you, you would work hard, that some of those issues actually might resolve themselves. And they don't seem like spiritual issues. But I think they might be. I think that it might be that, again, God created us. We're not just spiritual people. We have physical bodies. We need to work hard and we need to rest hard. So the Sabbath reflects the Lord's pattern for work and rest. Let's look at one more Old Testament passage, verse uh, Exodus 31, verse 13. Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. This verse gives us another important aspect about the Sabbath. The Sabbath was to be a sign uh, of God's relationship with the people of Israel. So the Sabbath rest involved remembering who the Lord is and what he's done. So principle number four, God wants you to remember who the Lord is, and what he has done. God wants you to remember who the Lord is and what he's done. As you rest, you remember who the Lord is. You reflect on who he is. And, and, and you're looking to him for, for provision. You're looking for him to sustain you. So God placed a really high value on the Sabbath. We see it all throughout the Old Testament. You see the Sabbath mentioned all the time. So what does that mean for New Testament Christians? Are we supposed to observe the Sabbath? Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. We could say a lot. I'm just going to say a little bit about this. We could say a lot about other passages. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. Paul writes, So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival. Talking about a Jewish festival. Or a new moon or Sabbaths. The weekly Sabbath. Verse 17. Which are, so that would mean that the festivals the new moon, and the Sabbaths, verse 17, are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. So shadows are proof that there is something of substance that exists. My four-year-old, he's in 4K and he's learning about shadows. And so we were talking about that the other day. Uh, You put your hand under a light, the light shines down on my hand, It makes a shadow. The shadow is proof that my hand is there. My hand is a substance. The shadow is something that refers to my hand. The Sabbath was a shadow ultimately pointing us to Jesus. And so in Christ, 
we experience true rest. True rest for our souls. The Sabbath points us to Jesus. Are you tired of, of toil and labor and doubt, wondering if you're good enough for the Lord? Are, are you tired of trying to be something for God? In Christ, you rest. You stop your toil, you stop your labor, and you trust that he's enough and that he'll provide enough for you. You quit laboring in work. The good works are never enough. Your good works will never lead you to the Lord. It's simply trusting in Jesus Christ for salvation. Resting in Jesus Christ. And when we rest in him, there's rest for our souls. Jesus even talked about it. All you who labor and are heavy laden, come to me. All you who are weary, come. You'll find rest. We find rest ultimately in Jesus Christ. And so we can find rest here on this earth, and then one day we'll have this eternal rest in Christ. And we can have this because of what Jesus has done, because of what he has accomplished. God wants us to rest ultimately in Christ, that we would rest in him. And so we need both physical rest and we need spiritual rest, but, but they're really intertwined. Because as you cease from working, and as you cease from laboring, and, and, and you put your heart and your mind on the things of God, and you rest, they're intertwined. And if we had more time, we could talk about how f- there are different forms of rest. If you always use your mind, then sometimes you, you rest with your hands. That's why some people that sit at a desk all day, they like to garden. And then maybe if somebody works with their hands all day, they would rest by opening up a book and reading and studying, having more in-depth study of God's word. But we see that after Jesus ascended to heaven, we see that Christians began meeting on the first day of the week. So the Sabbath was observed on the seventh day. That would be Saturday. But after Christ ascended to heaven, and we see the churches formed in Acts, we see that Christians began to meet on the first day of the week. And in many ways, we see that Christians dedicated that special day uh, to give it to the Lord. And so there are some who still would look to have a Sabbath outside of Sunday. Some who would kind of say, hey, Sunday is kind of that Sabbath moment. For me, I would simply encourage you to, to fulfill the pattern set forth by Scripture and that you would embrace that that you would work hard and that you would rest. And so are we bound to keep the fourth commandment? No. The fourth commandment ultimately points us to Jesus Christ. But I believe that if we apply the principles that we've talked about tonight, that we will be better off than if we didn't. And so what if you worked hard for six days? What if you worked hard for six days? And then you you dedicated a day. What What if you managed to get everything done? And then on Sunday, you actually didn't have to study. Didn't have to work, didn't have to do anything. You could hang out with friends, you'd go to church, enjoy that time, go out to lunch, go take a nap, read a book, do all those things. And you may say, yeah, but I got to do my school. Maybe you don't. Maybe trust that you can do on Saturday what you used to do on Saturday and Sunday. What if you trust that God would provide? Trust that he will allow you to get done. That just means you have to work hard on the other days. What if you decided to incorporate a pattern of devotion to worship? And I would even say, what if you did it every day? What if there were little moments in your day 
every day where you said, you know what, I got to have this moment. I got to have this moment of rest where I remember who the Lord is, or I reflect on his goodness, on his grace. Have you entered into the ultimate rest in Jesus Christ? Because if you haven't, you will go throughout the rest of your life with a restless soul. Doesn't matter how much rest you get physically. If you would bow your head with me.